Welcome to Unsolicited Book Reviews with Michael McBride. That's me! I read a lot of books and sometimes people ask for recommendations. No one explicitly asked me to review these books in particular, which is why they're Unsolicited Book Reviews. They just happen to be ones I enjoyed recently. I read across genres and really whatever happens to come across my path. Sometimes it's a book mentioned within another book that I'm currently reading. Other times it's from an interview with an author or just a new book from a favorite author. And sometimes someone else recommended I read the book for whatever reason. Often if that's the case, I've forgotten where the recommendation came from by the time I get around to reading it. Oops, each episode is going to have somewhere between three and five reviews and be roughly five minutes long each, give or take. Good? Let's go! Today is Quentin Tarantino's Cinema Speculation, um, and I didn't print off a cover of it, sorry, and I, I listened to it on audiobook, so I don't have a physical book to hold up, but it'll be easy enough to find, um, you know, he's a big enough name that he's kind of everywhere, but um, the book is kind of memoir, kind of um, film criticism, and um, I... I find it interesting. I, I really enjoy Quentin Tarantino's voice. Um, I don't always agree with him necessarily, but I, his perspective is is unique, um, and he just has a fount of knowledge um, in terms of film uh, that I don't. So a lot of this book kind of goes over my head because he makes references to things that I haven't seen um, or really don't know anything about. But um, I will say the audiobook, I was excited because he was listed as reading it, um, but he actually only reads the first chapter and the last chapter. So he kind of bookends it. Um, the other gentleman who does the reading is, is fine, um, but I don't know. I, I felt like I was sold a product one way and um, switched on the other. But anyway, what I do have here is the table of contents, um, just to kind of give you a sense. Uh, so it starts with this reflection, this kind of memoir thing where he talks about um, how young he was and how his parents used to take him to movies um, and where his obsession with film really began. Uh, that's one that he reads. Then there are kind of film criticism reflections on the movie Bullet, Dirty Harry, Deliverance, The Getaway, The Outfit. Um, and then one of my favorite chapters is this one um, that's an appreciation of Kevin Thomas, who's a film critic. And um, apparently one of the things that um, Quinton says right after winning a prize, I think for Reservoir Dogs, is he can see Kevin Thomas in the audience and he's like, oh, so that's what Kevin Thomas looks like. Um, and so he kind of talks about his relationship with uh, film criticism and also the, I guess, the kind of lost art of that um, voice in newspapers and media and that kind of stuff that you know, consistently reviews uh, film and just media in general. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, he covers the movie Sisters, Daisy Miller, Taxi Driver. Um, talks Actually, there's another chapter dedicated to Taxi Driver where um, he speculates about what it would look like if a different director had filmed it um, because it, apparently it came to a different director first. So there's lots of little inside things about film like that that it, that I find interesting. Um, Rolling Thunder, Paradise Alley, Escape from Alcatraz, Hardcore, and then The Fun House. Um, and I don't know, if you like Tarantino and if you like film criticism, this book seems like a, a good fit for you. 
Um, I mean, the films really are, I think, between 68 and 82. Um, so that's kind of the, the window of time. You know, you're not going to get him reviewing, you know, any of the any of the films of the 90s or anything like that. Um, I mean, there are nods to things that kind of come in the future. Um, but the, the focus really is primarily on the 60s and 70s and then just kind of touches on the 80s a little bit. So um, ultimately, I liked it quite a bit. And I just wish Tarantino had read the whole thing. <laughs> so. Today's book review is Drink by Ian Gately, A Cultural History of Alcohol. And this book, as it says, is a cultural history. So it it's almost like a world history book just through the lens of alcohol. Um, and so, I mean, yes, you get kind of how the different alcohols came about, um, but its focus is much more on the impact of the alcohol than on the alcohol itself, if, if, that, makes a, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know exactly what I thought when I got the book. It wasn't quite this, and I can't remember who recommended it to me or how I came across it. Um, but I did ultimately enjoy it. And, you know, one of the things that happens in the book is sometimes Gately gets very focused on something that to me was unimportant or not as interesting as some of the other things he kind of breezed over. Um, but one of the things that is consistent through the book that I found super fascinating was, um, in general, the distrust and almost hatred for water. Um, and it's, um, I don't know, it's not something I'd expected. I mean, I know that historically people drink cider or beer and things like that. And I always thought that had something to do with purifying, um, the liquid and, you know, standing water being dangerous and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was interesting to hear how long it took to convince people that no water is fine. Um, you know, and and how to prioritize that in a different way. Um, I mean, there's some really interesting things in there about like kind of the gin craze in England and how some of those regulations came about to protect people. And of course he goes into prohibition. Um, you know, if I had one other complaint, it would be that it's not worldly enough. Um, I mean, he does start in 8,000 BCE um, you know, and goes through like Egyptians and um, African alcohols and, um, but the focus, I mean, probably the meat of the book really is England, Europe, United States. It has a very Western focus. Um, there is some uh, discussion in there about um, sake, sake and um, things from Asian cultures and um, towards the end of the book, it ends around 2005. Um, you know, there's discussions about kind of the Russian monopolies on vodka, you know, so there is some of that, but I, I guess I was hoping for something that was a little more diverse, but ultimately, um, interesting, interesting book. I listened to it, but I was also curious. So I got a physical copy of it. Uh, you know, it's like 520 pages or so. Um, but the actual print version is the print is pretty small. <laughs> so uh, realistically, it's probably more like a 650 or 700 page book. Um, you know, if it was, if the font was a little bigger, uh, the audiobook I think was 
16 hours. Um, so anyway, drink a cultural history of alcohol by Ian Gately. Um, definitely interesting. Today's book is The Phantom Plague by Vidya Krishnan. And this is a book about tuberculosis. Uh, I'll just say it right up front. Nonfiction book about tuberculosis and it is super interesting. It was mentioned on one of the Vlogbrothers posts, you know, um, John and Hank Green. Um, one of them was doing a, a deep dive on illness and tuberculosis and mentioned this book and it sounded interesting to me. So I ended up, I ended up listening to it. Um, I listened to it via Libby, which is used to be called Overdrive. It's an, an app or service or whatever you want to call it through the public library. Um, and you can get lots of audiobooks and ebooks that way. Um, it's how I get a lot of my audiobooks. Um, I don't like ebooks, weirdly. I like physical books and I like audiobooks, and those are my two jams, I guess. Um, but anyhow, this book is about tuberculosis, and that's something that I hadn't thought about. You know, when I think of tuberculosis, I think of something in the past. I think of movies set pre 1930, um, somebody coughs into a, a handkerchief or a napkin. Um, and there's blood on it, and you're like, oh, they're going to die. That's consumption, tuberculosis, TB, whatever you want to call it. Um, hadn't thought of it as a current thing, which apparently I'm just not paying attention, because what Krishnan does is um, talks about these growing um, treatment-resistant strains of tuberculosis. Um, pr primarily, her focus is in India initially, um, but you know, obviously it's a worldwide disease that spreads just like we know other pandemics do as well. So, um, her book starts off looking at the kind of history of tuberculosis. Um, and she does some investigation into early literature that deals with TB. Um, some of that is through Sir Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle. I stumbled at that name. Um, and uh, Bram Stoker. Dracula kind of comes out of that tuberculosis and the fear of bloodborne diseases and not understanding how they work. Um, if you think of Dracula being pale and blood around the mouth, and then you kind of have a tuberculosis patient. And so that's super interesting, you know, and then you get into more of kind of uh, the progression of it and why it's still a concern. Um, she talks a little bit about kind of the infrastructure in India where they tried to renovate the slums and they made really tall buildings, but unfortunately they're built so close together and the proximity just spreads disease. And so there's this moment where she describes being able to look down at this map and just see the epicenter um, of where these diseases are spreading, but super interesting to figure out like why some people are affected by it and some people aren't. And, um, and then she transitions into talking about podcasts and you're like, why am I learning about podcasts now? Um, but that is also super interesting. And she does that to talk about copyrights and patents and, um, and ultimately how medications fall into that and then how those things impact who gets the treatments they need and when they can or if they can or how much they cost. Um, and, you know, she really digs into a lot of um, history about that. And also there's a part in there about like how during 9-11, you know, there were all the anthrax scares, uh, but one company kind of owned the copyright or patent to the treatment for anthrax. Um, but the government, U.S. government was able to step in and say like, this is an emergency. We need that. Um, and kind of trump that patent. Um, 
And so, you know, maybe that's a possibility to get through for some of these medications that are much more urgent. Um, but ultimately, the pressing issue that Krishnan is addressing is these drug resistant treat resi treatment resistant strains or variants um, of tuberculosis. Um, so anyway, super interesting, um, a little scary, you know, because it's, it's real, um, you know, and you never know what's coming and having lived through a pandemic now, um, just not really wanting to do that again and figuring out a good way, um, to navigate that and kind of avoid the, the super bugs and find a path forward. But anyhow, I think you would enjoy it. Would definitely recommend, um, the Phantom Plague by uh, Vidya Krishna. Alexandra Ling, uh, Meet Me at the Fountain. It's a history of the shopping mall. Um, and I'm trying to remember where I even heard about this book, um, but I'm glad it fell in my lap. Um, it has a really cool design inside that lays out kind of like how malls look um, in the center of the book. You know, there are black and white photos throughout, um, but in the center of the book, there's a section it has nice glossy photos. Some of them are color. Um, and, you know, as somebody who grew up in Michigan, um, arguably one of the first sites of a covered mall in 1954 in um, Northland, um, and now somebody who lives in Minnesota, the other um, site of the, the Edina Mall, uh, Southdale, uh, that also claims to be the first indoor mall. Um, it was fascinating to read this. And of course, like being a child of the 80s, uh, we spent a lot of time in malls. And so, you know, I enjoyed this book quite a bit. Um, it's written with a sense of humor. There's a lot of research packed in here. Um, I really enjoy her style of prose as well. Um, some of my favorite little tidbits are, uh, like I mentioned, the North Northland Project in uh, 1954 in Michigan, uh, the Southdale one in Minnesota in 1956. Um, I found it really interesting to learn that part of the reason malls had such big parking lots was not only to impress people that there was always a spot for you, but um, strategically to keep competitors away. Um, and I, I thought that was kind of a clever piece of information. I'd be curious to see where she got it from, but um, it makes sense also. And so, it, you know, I didn't question it, but I, I just love those little nuggets of information. Um, similarly, there are some st statistics towards the end um, where she, you know, covers essentially malls during the pandemic. I mean, this goes right up until 2021. Um, and so she's talking about the decline of the mall and how the pandemic affected malls, especially ones that opened just prior to the pandemic, shutting everything down. Um, but some of my favorite statistics were that apparently there are 24 square feet of retail space for every American in the United States, which doesn't just include malls, but just the idea of how much space we take up um, to selling things and uh, by comparison, then Canada is the next highest with 16.8 square feet, and the United Kingdom has 4.6, and then China has 2.8. So uh, just kind of interesting to think about those statistics and how that factors into, I guess, what we value. <laughs> and clearly retail is one of those things that's important to us. Um, there's also a statistic towards the end uh, talking about the peak of malls existing in 2017, 
where I guess at the time there were 116,000 malls. Um, but anyway, um, just quick review. If you're at your bookstore, snag a copy of Alexander Lang's Meet Me at the Fountain. I got it at uh, Fine Print in Selene, uh, but it's available everywhere. this up at the San Diego Comic-Con. We just got back and it was so much fun, but this was by far my favorite booth. Um, he literally draws butts on things. And so I picked up this pin and Parker got a, a Kirby pin and I can't remember which one Dylan got, but we all got some kind of pin and, um, and he was, Brian was very gracious, um, sat there and chatted with us for a little bit. He, signed my book and um, talked a little bit about drawing butts on things. So apparently his first butt on things was this one, a coffee mug. Um, and he, he writes about the story in the book. And you know, this is a collection of sketches and then kind of finished work as well. Um, so it's, 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 it's a really fun one to look through. I think my favorite's probably the 20-sided uh, die that has a butt on it. Um, oh, it just makes me laugh, especially as a, as a D and D kid, I always enjoyed that. But, um, Parker asked Brian what the hardest thing was to draw. And, um, Brian thought for a minute and said, a candy cane, because there's not a lot of space to draw a butt on it. <laughs> you don't have a lot of material to work with. Um, so anyway, I would definitely recommend checking him out, whether in book or on Instagram or any of the social media things where he shares his work. So anyway, Brian Cook, thanks for listening. You can find out more about me at my webpage, michaelmcbride.com or on most social media platforms with the same handle at Michael McBride. That's M-A-C-B-R-I-D-E, like Mac and Bride. Let me know what you're listening to. Or if you read one of these books, leave me a comment and let me know what you thought. Have a great day.